more in a narrative way than a verse way. And let me tell you why. In its original form, there were no chapters and verses in the Bible. For instance, in the Greek, Jesus didn't weep in John eleven thirty five. 35. <laughs> you know, he wept because his friend Lazarus had died. And the heartache and misery it brought on his sisters. Now, I'm not against chapters and verses, don't get me wrong. They're helpful. They help us find things, help us cross-reference Scripture. But if we just read verse by verse, we can tend to isolate things and miss the whole. But if we think of it as a narrative, as in a story, as it was written, it can help us connect with the total flow of what's being talked about. One of my favorite narrative studies in all of Scripture for me to do personally is just to get in the Gospels and follow Jesus and see what he did, where he went, but just as much who he did it with. Again, we get back to that principle for our opening thought. What kind of company did Jesus primarily keep? And I want to give you a narrative vision of that. In Matthew's gospel, we find out immediately that the people he was closest to were just simple, unschooled men. Manual laborers, we would call them. Then in Matthew's gospel, he gives the greatest sermon ever. Matthew chapter 5 through 7, we can use chapters and verses. <laughs> but he, t- he gives this greatest sermon, and the minute he comes down after giving this sermon, guess who he connects with? Not religious leaders, people weren't patting him on the back. It's a guy with a skin disease who's a social outcast. And then he meets a Roman centurion. After that, he talks to a woman, a thing rabbis worth their salt did not do in this day. And then finally, by two demon-possessed men going through Matthew's gospel. He engages a paralyzed fella, a hated tax collector, and two blind men. Mark tells us that he was at a church service, and before it happened, his main goal was to feed 5,000 people who were hungry. Luke's gospel tells a parable about this guy who was in. He was one of the religious leaders, one of the experts in the law, but he encourages him to be more like a guy who was out, who was a Samaritan. Jesus tells about a tax collector in Luke's gospel, a Benedict Arnold of that day. And what he says is, this guy was justified because he had a humble heart before God, but a guy following all the rules, doing all the right religious things, he's saying, you're out, and this guy's in. And I think John's gospel is really telling. What Jesus does is he he, he talks to a person, a woman, he offers her living water, she's a five-time divorcee, she's a Samaritan, and on top of that, she's shacking up with the guy she's with right now. But Jesus still offers her living water. And there is a woman caught in the act of adultery, red-handed. He tells her to quit doing that stuff, but he offers her grace, love, and forgiveness. And guys, throughout the Gospels, it goes on and on. Hemorrhaging women, prostitutes, and the hopeless invalids. These were the people that Jesus primarily spent most of his time with. It's clear as a bell. He had a passion for the poor, the forgotten, the outcast, and again, just the simple sinners of that day. Now, for some of you in this room, that's probably not a spiritual epiphany. You knew that. You've read this before. Maybe not everybody, but have you ever decided, I want to find out, I want to peel the onion back a little more and find out why he did this. 
Why were these people so special to him? Why, did, why was he drawn to them? And why were they drawn to him like a magnet? I think today most people who are caught in sin are not drawn to the church like a magnet. And Christians, most times they're going to feel condemnation and scorn rather than we want to help you stop that sin and get your life back together. Why was Jesus like this? Why was he drawn to these people? Well, I want to explore this today. First, why did these people get Jesus' special undivided attention? I'm a big proponent of mission statements. And the reason I am is because once you have a mission statement, everything else is pretty simple. Here's the mission statement. We've decided this is who we are, and every decision is based on the mission statement. If it doesn't, I don't care how good it is, if it doesn't fit the mission, we don't do it. Well, did you know that our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ had a mission statement for his life? And it is, for the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. That was it. When he came here, that was the primary thing he came to do. Now understand, this is not just poor people. When he talks about seeking and saving the lost, you, he's talking about rich people, everybody, powerful people. Every one of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of the God. Amen, church? We all need help. We all need redemption. So it wasn't just the poor people. He came to seek to save the lost, and we're all part of it. Jesus came for that, but I want to talk today about a reality of the human condition that we all struggle with. Isn't it a fact that the more we got, the less we need? Is that a pretty fair assessment? Once we've got more, we tend to rely more on ourselves. We might not want to do it. We might not try to do it. But when we've got a lot and we've got more, we tend to rely on ourselves and think that we can handle things. But however... Poor people and struggling people, in general, not always, but in general, most of the times, tend not to do this. I read an author author named Monica Helwig, and she notes how, from a spiritual perspective, there are advantages of being in the downtrodden life situation of these people that Jesus were drawn to. And I want to show you those. First of all, they know that they are in urgent need of redemption. They can't fix themselves, and they cannot fix their situation. Next, they also know their dependence on God only and on powerful people, but they also are under, aware of their interdependence on other people. When you got stuff, we can tend to isolate ourselves, as we're going to see in a minute. Next, they rest their security on God, not things. God is the number one thing in their life because he's all they've got. Also, they have no exaggerated sense of their own importance or ability to provide for themselves and no exaggerated need for privacy. Then Helwig says this, they expect little from competition and much from cooperation. And finally, they can distinguish between necessities and luxuries really well and There should be one more. Go back one, please. One more. There we go. I guess they ain't going to do it. I'll read it off my paper. (laughs) They respond to the call of the gospel with abandonment and uncomplicated totality because they have so little to lose. The gospel actually is gain to them. 
Because of their life situation, these people that Jesus kept company with were actually in a posture, a really good posture, that befits and benefits receiving the gospel of grace. They didn't have anything. In their neediness, their failure, and their troubled lives, God's total takeover. And remember, God doesn't say stick one foot here and one foot here. What does he say? If you're going to follow me, I want everything. I want a thousand percent. I want your heart, your soul, your mind, your money. Everything belongs to me. They're actually going to say, that sounds like something I, I gain from. That actually sounds like good news. Now, I want to say it one more time. The rich and prosperous are invited to this as well. God wants everybody. We've all, we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But as Jesus told Matthew, told the disciples in, in Matthew's gospel, when he encountered a rich man, he said this, It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of the needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. He's not saying they can't, but when we got a lot of stuff and we can take care of ourselves by human nature, what do we do? We tend to isolate a little more. Wish it wasn't like that, but it is. But again, he's already got the slide up here, but Dr. Helwig makes this more personal to her readers. Rather than saying they do these things, she says, why don't we exchange the word they for the word I? And I want to recommend we try that this morning. I know, no matter what your situation is, I know that I am in urgent need of help and redemption. I know that my only dependence, I know my only dependence is on God and powerful people, but also my need for interdependence with others. I rest my security not on things, but on God. I have no exaggerated sense of my own importance and my own ability to provide for myself and no exaggerated need for privacy. I expect little from competition and much from cooperation. I can distinguish between necessities and luxuries. I respond to the call of the gospel with abandonment and uncomplicated totality because I have so little to lose. The gospel for me is gain. Now again, brothers and sisters, as the old aphorism says, we don't go to the doctor till we know we're sick. <laughs> So if we really know we're sick, no matter what our position is, we're going to cry out and say, we need some help. I want to say it one more time. God is not against us having some money, having a nice house, and position, and all those things. Every perfect gift comes from the Father upstairs, right? But what he says is one of the most natural things in humanity is these blessings can tend to block our memory about where they come from and dull our senses. He says this in Deuteronomy chapter 8, starting with the Israelites, so clear. Give me a slide there, guys. He says, when you have eaten and are satisfied, praise the Lord your God for the good land he has given you. Be careful that you do not forget the Lord your God, failing to observe his commands, his laws, and his decrees that I am giving you today. Otherwise, when you eat and are satisfied, When you build fine houses and settle down, and when your herds and flocks grow large, and your silver and gold increase, and all you have is multiplied, then your heart will become proud, and you will forget the Lord your God, who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. He led you through the vast wilderness 
and that thirsty and waterless land with its venomous snakes and scorpions. He brought you water out of a hard rock. He gave you manna to eat in the wilderness, something your ancestors had never known, to humble and test you so that in the end it might go well with you. You may say to yourself, my power and strength, the strength of my hands, have produced this wealth for me. But remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you the ability to produce wealth. And so confirms his covenant, which he swore to you by your ancestors, as it is today. I want to say it one more time, friends. Every good and perfect gift, every talent, every ability, every dollar, every bit of health we have is a gift from the Father above. Amen, church. We want to give him the credit, him the glory, and him the honor. I got to tell you, I've been at Johnson Street long enough now that I see the heart of this congregation, and not just on Blessed to Be the Blessing Day, and not just at Rush Street. I see so many people who have a heart and a desire to serve those exact people that Jesus had a heart and desire to serve. So as we close today, I want to give you maybe a little advice, if we would, scripturally, on how to keep that vision and that heart on fire and keep moving forward in this pursuit. A spiritual encounter that has always fascinated me in Scripture is John chapter 9, the man born blind. And what fascinates me is there's this guy who's blind and he sees, but the people who have perfect vision, right, can see, they're blind as a bat. (laughs) I think that happens so many times in life, and so many times it's happened to me. But I want to submit to you that if we will... Um, follow Jesus' teachings in Matthew chapter 25 and let them lead us, we can have clearer and clearer sight in our service and help to those exact people Jesus talks about, the exact people who live in our town, and help be more of a light of Jesus to the world. So I want to do this together. So I want to invite you please to take your Bibles, phones, whatever, and open them to Matthew chapter 25. And we're going to start in verse 31. This is going to be our our text for the day. Matthew 25, verse 31. The Word of God says this, When the Son of Man comes in His glory, and all the angels with Him, He will sit on His throne in heavenly glory. All the nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate the people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my Father. Take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you looked after me. I was in prison, and you came to visit me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in, or needing clothes or clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go visit you? Listen to this, church. The king will reply, I tell you the truth, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers of mine or sisters, you did for me. Do you all hear the amazing thing that Jesus says there? 
when we go out and do these things for other people, and we do them with a pure heart, in reality, we are not doing them for them, or we're not doing them for us. <laughs> Who are we doing them for? We are doing them for our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Isn't that powerful? And wouldn't, if we saw that and believed that truly in our heart, and that was our driving force, wouldn't that change the way we respond to everybody? <laughs> there was a great movie some of you may remember from the 1960s titled Whistle Down the Wind. Haley Mills was in this movie. Great children's movie. You need to go get it, show it to your kids if, if you want something good. When this movie, these kids go into a barn and there's a, an escaped criminal laying in the hay, and they see this criminal, and they walk up, and Haley Mills' character goes, Hey, who are you? Well, the criminal's kind of startled, and he looks up, and he sees the kids, and he goes, Jesus Christ! Well, he meant it as an expletive. <laughs> but guess what the kids did? They took him as truth. <laughs> they thought that guy was Jesus Christ. So guess what they did? They brought him food. They brought him blankets. They began to talk to him. They hid him. They took care of him, told him about their lives, were kind to him. And, and throughout the movie, I don't want to give the plot away. I probably just did. <laughs> this kindness and this love and this grace and this gentleness that these children showed to this guy who had only just seen himself as a criminal transformed who he was because brothers and sisters they didn't see him as a criminal they saw him as Jesus and responded as such Mother Teresa once told an American visitor who came uh, to see her and they could not comprehend she this person could not comprehend why she would do what she does to these dregs most people would call them dregs in Calcutta. And here's what Mother Teresa said to him. Got a slide there. It says, first, talking about her and her nuns, first, we meditate on Jesus and study what he did. And then, we just go out and look for him in disguise. I think that fits Matthew 25 absolutely perfectly. Don't you? What if we did that today? Church, we're about to hit the streets. <laughs> we're going to leave this place. This is an important place to be. But this isn't where God's work happens, does it? This is where we're fired up to do God's work, and we do God's work where? What if we went out today, and every door we went to, and every person we encountered, and again, not just people who are struggling, rich people, anybody, in any, any situation. What if we said, I'm going to respond to everybody and see everybody through spiritual eyes and think that they are Jesus Christ? I'll tell you what it would do. The first people it would transform would be us. That makes sense? It would transform the way we see, what we do, and how we respond. It would make a huge difference on these people, but I'll tell you who would put, who would, it would put the biggest smile on their face. And that's God. Because our goal in life is to serve Him. Amen? Love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love our neighbors as ourselves. But as we do that, as we love our neighbors, he gets the credit, he gets the glory, he gets the honor, and that is the most important, powerful, blessed way to live life. Everything we do would be for our Lord, our Master, and our King. 
I got to tell you, I had a personal experience with this just last week. We have a, an advisory board at Rush Street, and we were going to have a meeting about a week ago. And you know when the time changes, it's dark by 6 o'clock. And Karen had called this meeting, and, and it was mostly ladies who were going to come. Well, about 20 till 5, it's getting dark. I look outside, and I'm trying to get things ready. And this homeless gentleman walks up, and our st- the door's right here, the steps are right here, and the steps are like this, and he's laying like this with his feet off there. And my first thought was not, oh, there's a good homeless bum out there. My first thought was, I want to help this guy, but not, this might not be the time. I don't want to scare these ladies when they come up. There's a homeless guy out there. But thankfully, the Lord slapped me upside the head, and I got rid of that pretty quick. And I walked outside, and I said, hey, man, what's going on? He said, it was rain. It was that first day. It was really cold. He said, I just want to get out of the rain. You mind if I sleep here tonight? And I said, sure. I said, you need anything? He said, no. He said, well, let me, get, let me tell you. I could use a cup of coffee. So I went in and made him a big old honking cup of coffee. I came back, I said, you want something to eat? I mean, whatever. And he said, I, I'm just tired and I want to get out of the rain and go to sleep. I said, you want a blanket? You want a pillow? He said, no, I just want to rest. And I'm like, I mean, within 10 minutes before the ladies got there, this guy was out. He was sound asleep. So I went in, and I got one of the biggest blankets we got. And I covered him up there on the step. Ladies come in, and, and naturally, of course, they weren't afraid. They were like, how can we help this guy? You know, they wanted to love on him. He never woke up, did he? He's sound asleep. Well, of course, we leave, and he's, I, he, I take off. I get up the next morning. I'm thinking about him, of course, when I go home. It's cold that night. I'm thinking about him when I get up. I walk up. I get to rush at 8 o'clock, and there he sits on that step. I said, man, you, you come in right now. We got two hours till we open. He came in. I said, what's your name? He said, my name's Doug. I said, Doug, you want something else? I mean, you're hungry, whatever. I had some granola bars and stuff like that we gave him. He said, I just really want another cup of coffee. <laughs> I'll make you a pop, brother. <laughs> so he's drinking coffee. We have two hours. To, he, said, I just, he said, thank you for letting me get warm. I said, man, you want to wash your clothes? You want to take a shower? You, what do you want? I'll do anything. And he goes, no, I just want to get a cup of coffee and get warm. I'm like, okay. I went to work two hours later. He's the first one at Rush Street. He got a sleeping bag, one of the mats we give to put him down so you're not cold, a couple other things, and he walked off. I kept thinking, that's got to be some Matthew 25 stuff. I guarantee you, I'm sure when he talks to everybody, he'll say, hey, Rush Street was really nice to me and things, but you know who got the most out of that encounter? (laughs) He made a difference in my life. Just to be able to serve him. And he wasn't some bum, homeless guy. He, I don't know what his life situation was. I told Dylan all, all, his whole life, I said, son, I said, here's the deal. When you look at somebody else, you never know what the story is. And if you, they may have done it to themselves. They may have had a great life and chose drugs. But I'm telling you what, in many situations, if you had the same background and the same situation as them, you could have been in the exact same place. So don't judge that person. I don't know what his story was. I don't know why he was there. But he was a kind gentleman. He just wanted coffee, wanted to get warm, and he was a blessing to me. Brothers and sisters, when we see with spiritual eyes and not with fleshly eyes, it makes a difference in us, it makes a difference in the world, and it makes our Heavenly Father smile. But I want to tell you this. There's only one way to get those spiritual eyes. 
We're not going to work for them. We're not going to try to do better. We have to be transformed to the core of our being, die to ourselves, and it only happens when we come to Jesus. And I want to invite you today, if you have never trusted in Jesus, if you've never believed in Jesus and made him Lord of your life, you will not see through the flesh. You, you will always see through the flesh. That's it. It'll never happen again when, when you can really see. But if you're baptized into Christ and you surrender to him and you're immersed into him and you come up filled with the Spirit, you will see in a way you never saw before. So I want to encourage you today. You know, blessed to be a blessing is great. We don't need to hurry this up, do we, church? If someone wants to be saved, if someone wants to be baptized, we will put everything to the side and do that now, and then we'll go get after it. So today, if you've never trusted Jesus, never believed in Jesus, never made him Lord of your life, today is the day of salvation. Get up here right now and make the greatest decision you will ever make in your life and be free and see like you never saw before. But for us who are saved, who are about to go hit the streets and do those things, I want to encourage us to have a Matthew 25 mentality. And the last words I want to leave you with are, again, those words from Mother Teresa. I think they, they just scream out Matthew 25. I want those to be the last words you hear, then we're going to get after it. First, we meditate on Jesus and study on what he did. Then we go out and look for him in disguise as we stand and sing.